Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, y'all. What's up? Friday, June 23rd, 2023 edition here on the Chase Stones Podcast. It's Friday, so you know what that means. Go Big Orange Friday with Rocky Top Insiders. Ryan Shumpert and Saturday Down South, Ethan Stone to uh, talk all things Tennessee Volunteers baseball. Uh, the Omaha Vols uh, coming up just short, finishing the top five uh, this season and uh, being eliminated uh, by the LSU Tigers, who are now uh, going to play uh, the Florida Gators in the College World Series final. Uh, so that should be interesting. High octane, crazy ending last night for LSU. But Great year for Tennessee baseball. Nonetheless, we talked about the whole lineup, what the offense did, the up and down um, nature of this season, um, the elite pitching staff throughout, uh, who will be gone, who will be back, transfer targets, um, Burke, Zane, Ahuna, um, what the lineup's going to look like next year. A lot of new faces, especially in the outfield and the left side of the infield. We talked about those. Uh, Tennessee making a sneaky, important uh, hire this week with Corey Robertson, uh, Robin Sin coming into the fold here as a defensive analyst, wondering if he is the next defensive backs coach at Tennessee sooner rather than later. Uh, Vols wide receiver room compared to the rest of the SEC. Boo Carter commits, Max Anderson, Jordan Burns, big week for Vol recruiting, and it seems like it's only going to get bigger and bigger as the week goes on. So keeping up with that. And all things Tennessee Volunteers here on a Friday. You know it. Go Big Orange Friday. It's one of our favorites and staples here on this very show. Um, as always, you can watch us, youtube.com slash Podcast. Like and subscribe. All that good stuff. So check us out there if you've not already done so. Well over a thousand subs. And uh, we just keep it moving. Thousand, a hundred. Like we're just... We're keeping it moving each and every day, so I appreciate y'all support there. And as always, if you are a first-time listener, first, thanks for checking out the program. Uh, Make sure that you hit that subscribe button so you never miss a future episode of this show. And then if you're already subscribed but you haven't already done so and you like this very show, pause the show right now and leave this show a five-star rating and write a review, please, to let other people know uh, about the show, why you like it, and why you think they would like it too. And uh, yeah, helps other people find the show. If you have any Tennessee volunteers questions for us that you would like Ryan, Ethan, and myself to answer on next week's show, get in touch with us. Tweet at us, podchasethomas on Twitter, or email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back. Go be going Friday on a. Friday, you know what that means. Ryan Shumpert, Ethan Stone, Rocky Top Insider, Saturday Down South. We're all fired up because it is football time in Tennessee. We're not going to talk about anything that happened over the last four or five months of our time. We're going to move right on past whatever Tennessee 
Athletics was up to over the last. No, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna we're gonna hash it out because it was a lot of our time, and uh, that is what we're gonna have to do. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Glad to be back in uh, Tennessee soil, and glad uh, to have a, a little bit of a slow period, I guess, for the next next couple weeks until uh, head to Nashville for SEC media days. And like you said, then from I'm trying not to think about it being football time in Tennessee yet. I'm like, give me at least a week to okay. reprocess um but yeah i mean that's that's what's next for sure i didn't realize it was in uh nashville this year it's not in uh atlanta yeah it was i think originally supposed to be here in 2020 um mm. and then obviously didn't happen because covid so uh yeah. this is the year that they they pushed it back to ethan stone also here Saturday down south are you coming up to nashville for sec media days it's uh, i mean it's in your company name saturday down south you, you got the <laughs> sec like y'all are the sec blog are you coming up too yeah i will not they, they send people far more important than me <laughs> to go. if they're sending they'll chris sending marler the and not ethan stone yeah, don't they'll, they'll let them sending... send chris marler connor ogara friend of the pod <laughs> if you hear this like uh, what are we doing ethan stone send the president. Them, but no i'll be sticking around the news desk helping out there obviously there will be a lot of coverage for it and it's getting closer than closer than we think when ryan said it i was like oh yeah we're month two two months away here so um i'm doing well i'm doing really well I, i've moved in this is my office you can't see it's kind of weirdly placed because this is just like my street behind me everything is in front of me i'm like facing my my room so i have a bit of a weird background for podcasts here but i finally moved in getting getting settled here and ready to talk some baseball some football recruiting there you go ryan how excited are you uh to not have to deal with my dms for at least like nine months baseball dms that is <laughs> so so excited so so excited i mean it's it i could tell it was getting to the nth degree of annoyance when like this week i would say like 60 percent of your dms i actually agreed with like the general premise of them but just your tone in which you discussed it <laughs> and the past build up from really just the last two weeks i mean mm-hmm. kind of the whole season mm-hmm. It was really when I think of what annoyed me for the Chase DMs this year, I will think about the first weekend of the year when you were just <laughs> frantically panicking like a SpongeBob meme of everything on fire, and then the last two weeks. And then this week, I kind of agreed with most of what you said, uh, but I was already just on high edge from your messages <laughs> that I was I was ready to snap on you at the at this first sign of irritation. Fair. But also, start. <laughs> I ended up being a- totally redeemed here. Where what I saw in the original, like I'm going to give, uh, uh, Brian's going to pop a blood, blood vessel on this podcast, um, where the Grand Canyon and Arizona series told us everything that we needed to know about this team, where it was like, pitching is going to be solid, we're going to be a pitch first team, and this lineup is really going to suck for the majority of this year. <laughs> this lineup is going to be tough to get through. And it was funny, like on the broadcast where they're talking about like Griffin Merritt a lot and um he was actually figuring out like not even through uh the long ball just finding the gaps like he just was a single machine but it was like we're it was something where you discounted it's like well he was gone like he was just benched he was out of the lineup for what was it two three weeks at one point this year how long was yeah he i mean on? he wasn't he wasn't completely out of it i mean he started a game every sec series but there was like a two three week stretch where it was like one start and then yeah. maybe a, a pinch hit and bat in there too and he's batting cleanup, and he's in the heart of the order. I mean, Christian Moore had his ups and downs. Um, we talk about the defensive issues early on this year, and that was evident in those series where it was like, oh, this is <laughs> this can be tough. And obviously part of it, like Maui Ahuna, like not starting out with the team, that was tough um, with all the mess that was going on there. They went through all kinds of stuff. And Ryan, I'm going to leave it to you to start things off because you wrote a piece about uh, this team. And I think part of why this team in baseball frustrates me more than the other two. I read about this last year where we spend more time with Tennessee baseball than we do Tennessee football and basketball. And it's not even close. The amount of hours that I've spent watching Tennessee baseball versus football and basketball, it's just, it's not even close. So I think that's probably why more of my um, frustrated uh, fan brain pops up more for Tennessee baseball is because I have more time to think about it. And I spend more time being, and also what I do believe this in my heart of hearts, because the Atlanta Braves are a long ball machine and have been for years now and are just good. When you are a fan of like two very, very different ball clubs and you go back and forth and you're like, 
I just want to poke the Tennessee offense with a stick and like do something when I'm watching. I'm like, Matt Olson just hit another 700 foot home run. And we've got Griffin Merritt, who's got like just the gigantic Scott Stein arms and it's never going deep. We're never going deep. And then Omaha being what it is, bring in the fences. I don't know what we're doing in Omaha, but we need to do it. Like this is kind of silly that we're, we're not bringing in the fences. So if no one's hitting home runs, Hey, we need to redo this whole idea because you know, what's cool. Home runs. You know what I like seeing? Home runs. That's a cool thing. That's what people like seeing, actually. So uh, now I'm just ranting. Ryan, you wrote this piece about it. What uh, What was your final big takeaway here? I'm feeling good. This is. I, I'm just unloading all of my frustrations here. Yeah, I guess I'll respond to two things first at the end before kind of answering your question. I do think. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree about like the ballpark being maybe a little too big. Uh, I do. The wind was blowing in like all week, so I think that definitely had like a, a huge factor on it. I think there were probably four balls in that Tennessee LSU game, uh, the second game uh, on whatever that was Tuesday night that would have gone mm-hmm. out if the wind wasn't blowing in. And Griffin Merritt, you know, never hit home runs besides the eighteen home runs that he hit this season. Um, but hold on, to- I am saying in Omaha, and I'm saying what he was later on. Did okay. he hit one in the supers? He, he didn't hit one in the supers. He didn't. No, hit he one went in the. Re- it was he was singles on from supers and. and That's Omaha. what I was saying. I, that wasn't even. Okay. I was happy with Griffin. I'm not even taking. No, no, no. Okay, no, no. I, okay. Misinterpreted what you said. That's yeah. my apologies. This is a pro um, Griffin Merritt podcast. He fought through it. I, I'm a pro Griffin Merritt guy. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess to the whole to your to your point is. Now, I think what the thing that stuck with me the most uh, writing that article yesterday was just, you know, rethinking about early in the season and not not even the defensive mistakes and the offensive limitations or the starting pitching not living up to it early in the season. It was the fact that it felt like every time the first two months of the season, Tennessee faced any adversity, they folded. Bad weather, bad inning, Malia suspended – you know, anything that hit a tough break in a game, they just collapsed. They folded. They didn't have any sort of resiliency. And then when I go back and, I, I mean, obviously I think you can look at the fact that they turned 5-10 and 10 into 16-14. and 14. Uh, That's kind of the start of it. They overcame blowing a game badly at South Carolina, game one of a doubleheader, and turned around and just kicked the crap out of South Carolina in game two. And then in the postseason, they went from bad SEC tournament they got a really tough draw. I don't know if a bad draw, but a tough draw in the regional. Down to their last strike multiple times. Down by multiple runs. Give up the lead in the bottom of the ninth. Win in 14 innings. Have to go to Hattiesburg instead of host. Delays, delays, delays. Down by four runs in an elimination game. Down by four runs in Omaha in an elimination game. They just answered, answered the bell and responded to adversity and seemed unfazed by it the last six weeks of the season. And that was just such a 180 from what we saw the rest of the season. And I think they're, and obviously, you know, I said in that story that, you know, 50 games I watched them in person, that was not hyperbolic, you know, going through that was the number of games I covered in person this year and, you know, watched just about all of them. And and just being close to it, obviously, and that in tune, you know, it kind of changes my perspective a little bit. But uh, finding a lot of those guys likable and and just seeing that growth as a whole from a team, I, I felt was really, really cool. And I felt was one of the things that, you should people should at least i think people do and certainly myself the uh, love about sports is kind of seeing a team come together and change radically and uh you look at the very mental things of things which i think can very easily be the most likable or dislikable thing about a team is how they respond mentally and to see one go from responding really really horribly early in the season to really really well late in the season and to me probably slightly overachieve uh from the talent level it, it was pretty cool to watch Ethan, were your takeaways pretty similar, or what was your strongest takeaway that you're gonna you're gonna think back on about this 2023 Tennessee baseball run? Yeah, mine was gonna be exactly the same as Ryan, so I'll just kind of expand it. Just I guess this season from Tennessee, especially if you're a Tennessee fan, I think it should give you some perspective into what college baseball is really turning into, like just how fun it is. I mean, take me me as an example. Two years ago, I just I wasn't into college baseball, just not at all. And you start watching this Tennessee team of last year that's hitting long bombs all over the place and, you know, number one the entire country, and then they fall before Omaha. And then you see this team who give what Ryan just explained with everything, five and ten to, you know, to where they were now, to making it to Omaha, to being down to their last strike, to still beating Clemson, still going for the Super Regional round, and making it to Omaha, doing something that last year's team didn't do. As a team that was – that lost – 
took Grand Canyon to start the season, as, as, as you would say, Chase, that had a rough dirt start to the season, was able to turn it around. And, and you know, that's their story is they went from where they should not have been to a top five finish in the country, top six finish in the country, if you want to be, you know, if, if you want to play that game. But it's it's just fun. I mean, you look at you look at what old Ole Miss did a few years ago. They were like one of the last teams in the field, and they went and they won the whole thing. Um, you have those smaller teams where they get into the field, and you say, I mean, I don't think really anyone expected Tennessee to go to fifth in the nation when they even entered Omaha. I mean, they were playing well at that point. They had just won a series against South Carolina. They were playing well to end the season. But, I mean, you still don't necessarily think, hey, that team is playing well enough right now to make it all the way because it's so tough to make it to Omaha. And so these past couple of weeks, if you're watching Tennessee baseball, not weeks, months, I guess, if you're watching Tennessee baseball and you see them transform like this, I mean, there's little stories around like that all around the country. But what Tennessee did this season to be able to turn it around and be like that, that's that's the jewel. That's the jewel of it all. And so if you're following this Tennessee team, if you're following teams like it, you'll kind of really come to appreciate, I guess, what college baseball had to offer. I think it was Vitello the other day that said, just look at the talent that's in this room right now or in, in the field right now. you got Dylan Cruz, yeah. who's going to be incredible. you got, uh, I mean, Trey Morgan's going to be inc- – the, the top of LSU's lineup is absurd. It, it's just completely unfair. And then you got Paul Skeens, who is essentially Nolan Ryan on the mound the other day. I mean, Tennessee couldn't touch him. And then – you know, you got Chase Dolinger. I could, I could just continue naming, naming names all day. But the amount of talent that college baseball is seeing right now, and just the growth of it in general, it's just cool to see. It's cool to see from someone that hadn't respected it, I guess, as much as I had a couple of years ago. It's also it was harder to watch. Like they're getting better and better about their team. Like they got to <laughs> fix the broadcast and um, <laughs> making it more available to folks. Um, like that's that's a big part of it. But I do think the sport's growing more and more uh each year but i think to it it speaks to like i i understand like the this was fun and this is something i think i dm'd in the group chat too was just that like there's a reason like mississippi state hasn't even sniffed the uh, college world series since winning it two years ago obviously a gigantic park they've invested heavily in college baseball it's a big college baseball um university two years now sit removed and they're not even anywhere near Tennessee obviously a top they're what number one in 2024 recruiting that's good that's cool there's no guarantees and I think what I struggle with down the stretch here was like (laughs) I think I even told my dad I was like this would be the most Tennessee thing ever to like go the furthest with like the least talented team and I said in the group chat where I was like Drew Beam like Chase Burns obviously being electric and doing what he did was awesome and that was probably the highlight for me is Chase Burns going them out and just not like his intensity and him just like going full John Rocker, um, just absolute flamethrower, losing his mind after getting out of uh, high pressure. Hopefully not completely John well, Rocker. Well, uh, yes, off the field. Yeah, I'm <laughs> saying on the field, just like the purely, <laughs> let me specify, purely on the field of just throwing heat and just embracing um just throw it uh stuff where they're like you can't touch him and he knew that you couldn't touch him i think for me it's just it's going to be hard like you last year last year's team maybe the best college baseball team we'll ever see at the university of tennessee like it's going to be really hard to ever get back to where that was to not even get to the college world series for that group last year and then to get to the final five, to be pretty close, like you had a bullpen game against LSU. Like that was, we we talked about where it's like, you get to avoid Wake and you get a bullpen game. Like that's the best case scenario. No Paul Skeens, like Tennessee was favored. People are probably going to forget that. Tennessee was favored in this game. Like this was a bad way to go out. Like this was a bad, unfortunate way to go out because you had it right there. And when you get to that point, you just kind of want to you're you're just like all right we're here and you want to lose in a different way and i understand that you can't do this but like to get shut out to not be able to touch lsu in a bullpen game to see so many guys left on base all over again those same kind of horrors that we saw throughout the year where it's like they just could not piece it together offensively they could not figure out the right lineup tony vitello changed the lineup so many times and who was batting where so many times through the year last year it was just one through nine we know exactly who was starting we knew what that it was just a well-oiled machine there 
this year, the pitching was so good. Like Drew Beam got better. Drew Beam was just unbelievable uh, down the stretch for Tennessee. Like you can make the case, and it's, I think it's pretty clear. Doe was the worst of the three, and he came into the year. I mean, your ace, like you thought he was going to be the best pitcher in the country. Like that's a huge testament to Frank Anderson and what they built. Like that pitching staff where Doe was the weak link in the rotation and the one we were all most nervous about week in, week out. That's pretty crazy. And that was because Andrew Lindsay was a huge hit. Like that was a great transfer portal win. Chase Burns sticking with it and not folding by getting removed from the rotation and just becoming a huge cog, huge win. Camden Sewell just being awesome and his reaction after like just nothing but the best for Camden Sewell um going forward AJ Russell absolutely electric um going to him in tight spots and he comes through in a big way like it just there were so many positives in the rotation and where they were and where they were going that you're like could Tennessee ever have a rotation that strong again in a bullpen that strong where you really trusted so many dudes up and down that group the offense just wasn't all the way there it was hunter insley with one of the worst at bats we've seen in a long time like it was just one of those where you're like that can't happen like it was that that was rough christian scott going in there where he was just devastated every time he went to the plate where he knew he was in a hole he knew he was struggling and you're like okay that he was great in sec play long time ball but like the moment was too big for him like that was it was just he was not going to be what you he was not going to give you what you needed down the stretch cal stark who great defensively as we talked about like cal stark was important defensively and stopped the just guy stealing second automatically on this tennessee team and putting them in bind especially when like chase burns on the mound with his high leg kick and everything i just there was something about it where you're like this is so frustrating because this pitching is so good we're keeping this tennessee team in every game and i i imagine it had to be frustrating for a lot of these pitchers to be like I only gave up two over six or seven, and I still think that's not even close to being enough or um, that I have to always be looking over my shoulder because our offense was just not anywhere close, and you're watching these other games, and I never fully bought in to this group. Maui was so streaky. Maui really came through down the stretch, but Maui low and away. <laughs> off speed low and away he couldn't lay off and that was a struggle throughout hunter it's like you hunter is like the ultimate godfather just when i thought i was out you brought me back in where i was like all right i'm i'm kind of going out on hunter all right he brought me back in um jared dickey probably the most consistent of the bunch where you're like you just wish he could be up to bat more christian moore obviously saving the balls like they don't even get here without his uh regional play like an unbelievable run in regionals it's important that he's back next year but you look through it, and I think Tennessee's offense, and I, I'm curious what Tony would say about this, you would have guessed at least somebody would have been as good or stepped up to what we saw last year, right? Like, they really, they had to replace eight of nine guys, and all eight didn't get up to where the previous player was last year. Is that is that fair, Ryan, to be like, no one was actually better than from last year's group in that new spot? Um, I mean, Jared Dickey was better than Seth Stevenson, but I was also your best player. Well, I was, I'm cutting Jared Dickey as a player last year. Yeah. And he was te- before the injuries. I, I would say he's one of the nine from last year. Okay. I wouldn't count him. Yeah. I mean, I would say, and obviously he didn't play left field. I would say, and again, I'm not a huge Seth Stevenson guy. I would say Griffin Merritt was better than Seth Stevenson. Okay. And I would say there's a, a case to be made either way, but I would take Maui over Cortland Lawson. But the would other. You really? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I thought – see, you said Maui was inconsistent. I don't really think that was true. Now, he, to me, Maui – and I don't blame people for this. There was just such a disconnect, in my opinion, from how the fans viewed Maui to how I viewed Maui. I mean, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. He wasn't a prototypical leadoff guy. He struck out way too much, which is why I never liked him there to begin with. I mean, you could tell that was going to be the case in the fall. And I think what really is the one – and I might have said this on here last week. I said this somewhere, so forgive me if I did. But – He's got – I don't think his game as a whole is a whole lot like Javi Baez, but he's got this Javi Baez ability to about once a series strike out and just – you're like, that's the worst bat I've ever watched in my entire mm-hmm. life. And I feel like fans just like took that and was like, this guy's terrible. He was like a – even when starts of the season, he wasn't great. He was just a one-for-four one, one for four machine. He'd just go one-for-four, one-for-four, mm-hmm. one-for-four. And then I felt like down the stretch of the season, I mean, you said it, he was really good in Omaha. He was really good – uh, or at least better in the Hattiesburg Super Regional, really good in game three. You know, he he didn't have quite as much power, you know, home run power that I expected, but 
to me, he was a guy that I thought was good. And then once they were able to find some treatment that, you know, made his back feel better. I mean, you look to me really right, right from right kind of where Tennessee started to turn the season around for that Vanderbilt series on, I thought he was really, really good defensively. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, maybe some people just had the early season struggles he had defensively in their head, but I thought he was a lot better than kind of the public perception uh, of him is. Yeah, and I mean, Zane was clutch, and we'll see what happens with Zane going into next year. But, I mean, Trey Lipscomb came in. No one knew who Trey Lipscomb was <laughs> before last year. He was he sat and waited, and then Trey Lipscomb was unbelievable in the five-hole. Zane was nowhere close to what Trey was last year. And Zane was clutch, like I said. like We're just looking at the full body of work, where I think Tony and this Vols team needed a couple of these guys to hit even with how good the rotation was they needed a couple of them to be like all-star really really good players to kind of get somewhere close to where they were a year ago and Simo was good but Simo was not better than Jarrell or take it last year like Jarrell I think it might be the most overlooked Tennessee player from last year yeah where, I completely agree like completely he was agree. unbelievable he was so yeah I just yeah. I think people don't understand how good Jarrell was last year so I think Simo was a downgrade now next year year three you can see like there's they, we've seen the flashes now that it wouldn't surprise me if he can get past him. But this year he was not um, Luke Lipsius. I would still take over Griffin Merritt from uh, this year and the DH Blake spot Burke, you mean? or Blake Burke. Yeah, excuse me. I would take him over Blake Burke. Like Blake Burke might be. <sighs> would you be mad if he entered the portal with Blake Burke being gone? Would you would would that would that upset you, Ryan? Would that be like, oof. Yeah, I think it would upset me, and I don't think he's going to enter the portal for what yeah. it's worth, but I think it would upset me more from the fact that Tennessee already just has needs in the portal and mm. adding another, because there's not, unless Kavar's tiers can get a lot better defensively for at first base and they can teach him to do that. I mean, he's been an outfield all this year, but he spent some time there first base. Like, that's going to be a spot. There's no one else on the roster that can start there. For that me. is actually kind of interesting, though, if tiers spend all offseason at first. Like, I... I just I just planted something in Chase's mind. I'm not sure I should have. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I get your Tony, point. Tony, let's like, talk. I, I get your point about Blake Burke. And that <laughs> the productivity was was certainly not there. And I mean, he uh, was... I think we're going to get to it in a second, but he was definitely one of the biggest disappointments of the season. Who, Ethan, in your estimation, who was the biggest surprise for you? Who was, uh, or what was the biggest surprise about this team? It could be a, a broad question or a player specifically. Oh my goodness. Um probably Andrew Lindsay. Mm. Uh I that, to be I, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna go with that answer actually. Let me think. That's, That's a good answer. Good There's like four of them that came to mind and that was that was it's it's either well it's it's either him or Zane or Zane Ditton. Um hmm. I don't know. I I'm, I'm going to be straight up with you. I, I haven't watched enough Tennessee baseball to know enough to give a solid answer on that. But Andrew Lindsay would probably be my answer, just because he's not a guy for for a, a fan like me. He or not a fan like me for an outside viewer like me. He's not exactly a guy that I saw giving as much to Tennessee as he did this season. I mean, you you just assume it's going to be Beam, Beam Burns and Dolander, and that's just going to kind of be how it is. But with Burns, I feel like not struggling, but needing the move kind of to the bullpen. I feel like that was that's that's just a sorry. You guys were kind of frozen there for a second. I feel like that. Um, it, it was it was more important for Burns. I feel like than Beam, but for than for Lindsey. But I feel like just having him in that spot to have a guy to just further the road that was already as dangerous as it was, especially with the hitting concerns that Chase and, and Ryan have, have kind of laid out. I, I, I don't know. You, you feel like that's that's a huge thing. And then, uh, I mean, obviously moving into the the postseason rounds, you know, you have him doing what he was doing there. Uh, I, I'm going to kind of switch and, and do a two-parter because Zane didn't, I feel like, also just his run in the postseason. And I mean, you, you forget – how many clutch moments he had, not mm. just against Clemson, but just, I mean, all over the place. The dude was hitting home runs when Tennessee needed it left and right. I mean, I remember at one point in the group chat, I was like, unironically, build the man a statue. <laughs> <laughs> like, unironically, the guy's like keeping us going here at times, especially when the offense was, I, I remember in that Clemson game, he was the only, Zane Den was the only guy that showed up for the, for like three innings, a solid three innings. Obviously, you know, he hits the one to 
have Tennessee in that place in the first place. I think yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and switch my answer. I'm going to say it's Zane Denton. I'm, I'm, mm. Just because of his postseason run alone, I'm going to say it's Zane Denton. That surprised me the most because I remember writing about his initial transfer from Alabama for SDS. It was one of the first pieces I did, actually, when, you know, back when I was starting there as a freelancer. And I remember Zane didn't know I was looking into him and stuff like that. And, I mean, he just wasn't an uber-impressive guy. You come to Tennessee, it's not like he was, you know, Darrell Ortega or anything like that. It's not like he was incredibly impressive the entire season. But just his ability to turn it on as we're moving into the later parts of the year, into the summer months and into Omaha, it's 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 just what Tennessee needed. It's the type of spark that you need if you're going to have guys that are not performing to the level that the 2022 team did. Ryan, what about you? Who is your biggest surprise? I think on the positive side, it would be Andrew Lindsay, just the way he stabilized things when they really needed it to be stabilized. Um, but Ethan, you know, he hit on the most important stuff there. And they're, they're really, I mean, it's funny because you looking at the rundown, you had to ask the question. There were like so many that came to mind. And hmm. I don't think it necessarily like that had necessarily hit me, you know, that so many things were different and typically things are different in a baseball season. Uh, you know, it's harder to project even from watching them scrimmage, you know, half a dozen times or, or more in the fall. I think another one, and you could argue whether it's on the positive side or not, but Hunter Insley and Christian Scott starting in, in the outfield for Tennessee. I mean, I remember Jack and I did our preseason podcast and, you know, we, man, we probably mentioned 30 dudes on the active roster. We didn't mention Hunter Ensley and Christian Scott was mentioned as an afterthought of a guy that will get opportunities in the outfield, but it's not going to win the job. And obviously there's plenty of, uh, you know, negative things you can say about how they performed in the NCAA tournament, especially Scott who really struggled. Um, but I think it's easy to look past just the way those guys stabilized Tennessee in that second half of the season and their consistency. I mean, they were, Two of Tennessee's three or four best hitters in SEC play. And mm. I don't think, you know, I think you can make a point that that speaks to Tennessee's offense not being as potent as it needed to be. And I would agree with that. But I would also say those guys got, especially Scott uh, and Inslee, I don't want to put a cap on his ceiling, but those guys got just about everything they got out of their potential. And at a time, Tennessee really needed it. And then on the negative side, you know, one, I think there's three to come to mind, which is Blake Burke. Chase Dolander and the fact that no one, no left-handed pitcher ever stepped up out of the bullpen to be able to help them. And hmm. I do think injuries played a role there. If you told me Wyatt Evans wasn't going to get the pitch this season, that would be less of a surprise to me. He was, he's their best left-handed arm uh, from watching him in the fall, from talking to people in the program, he would have pitched major, major innings for this team this year. But so what I, happened I to Wyatt? I, just arm soreness, arm tightness. Uh, hmm. And then it was going to be by the time, he would work his way back, have a setback, and then I think it was probably late April uh, that you know he was kind of getting he was throwing some bullpens again, but they just decided all right, let's just use a redshirt here and, and shut him down. Um, but I think when you look at you know what we've talked about Tennessee's team, it's got to be Blake Burke. You know, I think mm-hmm. you can argue Chase Chase Dolander was probably more surprising to me, but to your point, Tennessee's starting staff and pitching was still really really good. Like they overcame Chase Dolander not being twenty twenty two Chase Dolander. They needed dudes. They had a lot of solid guys in the lineup this year. They didn't have a lot of dudes. And obviously, they had a ton of dudes last year. And I think the guy that all of us pointed to, uh, this guy's a dude, and he's going to be really good, is Blake Burke. And the yeah. question was, you know, and I and I pointed this out. I wasn't, you know, just crowning him. But I was like, will he be able to be just as effective now when he's the guy in the middle of an SEC lineup and people can pitch around him and people can attack him in different ways and they got more data on him? And he was – for all intents and purposes, is a non-factor for most of the season. And I give him a lot of credit. He's had a huge hit, super regional. I thought he was really good in Omaha. His approach, his ability, I mean, I hadn't hardly seen him go. He went the other way more times in Omaha than he did the rest of the season combined, it felt like. Yeah. So I feel like that's a po- really positive sign going forward. Uh, but he was the guy that it felt like Tennessee just, besides Dickey, Dickey was consistent outside of maybe the two weeks after he came back from that shoulder surgery. He was consistently really good. But outside of Lindsey Nelson Stadium, he's just not a huge power hitter. His power, you know, is a little bit limited. Blake Burke was that guy that needed to be a consistent power. And not even was he not that. He was, for the majority of SEC play, he was consistently one of Tennessee's worst hitters. Yeah, I mean, I think probably Tony kept him in the middle of the lineup too long. 
uh, for a lot. Of, like it was just one of those where this is not getting fixed mid-year. <laughs> where I think you and I have talked about it, where it's like his whole offseason needs to be just low and away, off-speed stuff. Like loved it. Like I, I just, I don't know. It, it completely changes his ceiling, Ethan. Like it just completely. Like if that's his ceiling, what we saw this year with more data and, and teams knowing how to attack him, it's like he's a seven, eight, nine guy like in this lineup. Um, and that's just, that changes. That's not a ceiling though. Well, no, I'm saying that might be like, what if that is what he is at Tennessee? I, I don't, that's what I'm telling you. That. I'm telling you you're wrong. That's, that's not a ceiling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. Okay. Um, I mean, everything you said is right. What he is this year was a seven and eight hitter and Tony should have made the move earlier. I completely agree with all of that, but I, I would fight back against the thought that that was, that was by any means a ceiling. What is uh, the biggest portal need or needs, plural, for this team this offseason? Where do they attack and where do they look to uh, to jumpstart uh, this offense going into next year? I think the Zane Denton question is a big one, whether he comes back or not. Uh, but I think it, it probably starts with the left side of the infield. Um, do you think you know, he comes the, back? I would lean towards no, I, but I wouldn't put it out of you know, the realm of possibility either. And it's funny because obviously he was an Alabama third baseman, but I think Tennessee's going to target another Alabama third baseman. I think better than Zane Denton hard. Colby Shelton mm. stud for Alabama as a freshman this year, hit 20 plus home runs. Uh, oh man, 20 a, plus home runs in Alabama. Put him in uh, Lindsey Nelson. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. So uh, I think the left side of the infield uh, shortstop for sure. I think they're going to add somebody third base is kind of up in the air. And then, you know, what I just talked about, left-handed pitching, uh, acting they need to add. They will look to add at least an or one arm there, if not two. Uh, they, they lost out on the Justin Lower kid uh, from Xavier who committed to LSU over Tennessee. They'd had him on campus for a visit. Um, and he was a guy that I think was good enough to potentially be a weekend starter. But uh, mm. they'll find a bullpen arm there. And then I think catcher, it's kind of, you know, you're monitoring. If you can find an upgrade, you're attacking it, and you're finding an upgrade, and, and maybe you take a guy just to t- take a guy anyway. Um, you probably do, honestly, because I don't think you know one of Charlie Taylor is your backup again. Uh, but I would just say I don't think it's a guarantee that it'll get somebody. So there's a chance they open next year with Cal Stark as the, uh, the starting catcher. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be targeting and trying to find somebody else, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion they're going to find somebody better and. See, this is where I think there's just a disconnect between you and me on the Cal Stark situation. The bat, yeah, like the bat's not great, but it's a catcher. Like if Tennessee's better around him, we're not. You live with it. And I think Cal Stark, while he is limited, I think was very did a very good job of being aware of those limitations and knowing what he needed to do to get on base, which was to walk or get hit by a pitch. And he did that for you. And yeah. he did that pretty frequently. He actually had some really good at-bats late in the year, too. He did. He, like, he, he did was, try. Yeah. He understood his limitations. Yeah, so, he was like, I'm getting 12 pitches out of this pitcher. I don't care if yes. I end up striking out. I'm getting 12. And, if you know, to your point, if Christian Scott's not an automatic strikeout right in front of him and Tennessee's lineup leaves a lot to be desired around that him. That was the combination. When we put them together, yes. it's like, okay, you get any rally. It's like, Zane, you might as well just go back to the home plate. Like, yeah, you might just go, like, the, what, what, what was the point? Like, if you're batting seventh and you get on for Tennessee, it was just like, and there's an out. You're like, what, a, what am I doing here? <laughs> what, what's the point of me being on base right now? Yes, so to me, that's where... You know, I agree with that. And to me, that's what made the Cal Stark hitting limitations feel bad. I mean, mm. he's a catcher. Like, the, the I mean, Connor Pavoloni, don't get me wrong, fantastic player. Way better than what Tennessee's had a catcher the last two years. He had some awful stretches hitting. Some mm. terrible. And I'll go back to his freshman year, 2019. He was, and 2020 even, before the season got canceled, he wasn't good hitting. He was like yeah. a 240 guy. And Maybe it's an Evan better. Russell situation where we all were spoiled by how good Evan Russell was. Yes, as a I, I think that's it, which was... All right, that's you know it's a left fielder playing catcher, and you mm. felt the and it wasn't all Evan Russell's fault because of what you talked about. Tennessee's starting pitchers in particular are just so slow going to the plate; they don't give catchers much of a chance to throw runners out. And Cal Stark was able to over over um, you know overturn that, or that's probably not the right word, but overcome that and, and throw out a lot of guys and throw behind guys to keep dudes honest on the base paths. So, sure, Tennessee's going to go out; and they're going to look for a catcher, and there's a chance they'll find and land someone better that will start. But even if they do that, you know, unless they just get some stud, and to me, I haven't seen a catcher in the portal to date that's just a stud, it's going to be Cal Stark at least starting one game on the weekends and the other guy starting two. So I don't think you're, you've seen all you're going to see from Cal Stark in a Tennessee uniform 
his role may be diminished some, uh, but it's not like he's going to be, you know, they're going to just upgrade and he's going to be a nobody who you only see on Tuesday nights. Well, there you go. Um, final thing on Tennessee baseball, and then we'll move to football uh, real quick here, Ryan. Um, predicting the 2024 lineup for Tennessee, one through nine, what does it look like to you? Yeah, that's really hard to do. Um, Let's start left field and go. Ready? Left field. Who is in left field for Tennessee? Is it a? Tra- we'll do this. Transfer, in-house, guy that you can name, or um, true freshman coming in? Uh, returning guy, I think it'll be Dylan Dryling in left field. Okay. Hunter Inslee center. Field. center. Okay. Hunter Inslee. Right field. Right, right field. This is a hard one. I'll, I'll say Reese Chapman. Ooh. Returning fre- freshman this year, didn't play a ton. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So no tears. Tears. Is well, it tears I, I, tears? I got him tears. I okay. got him a DH. He's my, he's my DH pick. Okay. There you go. DH. Third yeah, base. and he'll and he'll he'll be to me. I'm very confident he'll be in the starting lineup, whether it's right field or at DH. Okay, um, third base. Tears, Burke at first, Moore at second. Even he's doing his own thing now. He's he's on, Ryan's doing his own thing. He's just he's moving. He's taking over. Okay, second base. Uh, second base, Christian Moore. Sorry, shortstop. Transfer. Okay, third base. Transfer. Oh, so transfer on both sides to the left side of the infield. Cal Star catcher. And Cal Stark and catch. And then the yeah. weekend rotation. Are we gonna go Friday go Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Weekend rotation. Burns. Friday. AJ Russ. Friday Burns. I think that's that's how they smooth some things over with him. Ooh. Uh, AJ Russell Saturday. Or transfer Saturday. And Drew Drew Beam is plenty good enough to be a Saturday starter. Heck, he's plenty good enough to be a Friday starter. Uh, but I just think they'll keep the vibes the same. And yeah. especially if they don't have an issue finding that second guy, if A.J. Russell or someone else submits himself, uh, I think they'll just keep him on Sunday. They like him in, in that role. So I'll say Drew Beam finishing out the weekend as he has the last two years. Okay. There you go. That's a bow on the 2023 Tennessee baseball season. And it is now football time in Tennessee. We're like <laughs> Trey Smith days away from uh, the opening day kickoff here for uh, Tennessee football. Ethan, Corey Robinson, going to be the DB coach after this season. He is brought on as an analyst here um, for Tennessee football. You see this, and it's like one of those things that just was like kind of, it was like a Friday news dump vibe where it just kind of popped up. It was kind of an under the radar. He's Marion, I think he has connections to Idris Farouk, right? In that school, Ryan, isn't that the school? He yes, that's yeah. he. Co- he's from the Baltimore area, and that's where he had a, a stint as a. I don't think he was a head coach. I'm not positive. The New Orleans Saints uh, website profile, Corey Robinson, didn't say if he was an assistant coach or a uh, head coach there. But yes, he was. He had spent time at the high school that he was at. And now time with Elante Taylor um, with the New Orleans yeah. Saints. And, and Bryce Thompson. Yeah, Thompson. so I just feel like reading through the tea leaves that if you're Willie Martinez, to one of two things where it's like maybe he's just moving, looking to retire. Like he's been doing this for a long time. Maybe he goes and like, I, I don't know, maybe that this is just it for him. Like we assume this is probably it for Rodney Gardner, right? After this, he probably retires um, whenever that he ever wants to this feels like the wrap the last stop for uh yep. rodney garner maybe willie martinez went into this thinking this might be the last stop for him i don't i don't know but when you look at this does this not kind of look like tennessee's got their if things go awry in the secondary this year again we have our in-house option who has recruiting ties has nfl ties and someone we can slide right in there to db coach next year I think it at least gives Josh Eiffel a look at him. And I think he, mm. you know, I hadn't even thought about this before when we were talking about it, but you just made a good point. And it's been more on the offensive side of the ball where it's Josh Heifel's guys, but he has promoted from within with the two mm-hmm. coaching this moves that he's made since his original staff. So I think that's an interesting point. And yeah, I think, you know, whether it be a retirement or, you know, whether just the pressure's on, you know, he's, I think Martinez has recruited pretty well, not yeah. fantastic, but pretty well. But, Obviously, this does feel like somewhat of a make-and-break year in the secondary. There needs to be real signs of growth after it being okay in 2021, maybe even pretty bad in 2021, but only just pretty bad because you had Alante Taylor and Theo Jackson who were legitimately good to horrible last season. 
Uh, and then, I, you know, the big thing there is Boy Martinez is the only coach on the staff on the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has gotten the contract extension. So that felt kind of like monitor, you know, that before. This is interesting. And then to bring Corey Robinson in, who, you know, I think basically stepped away from the Saints. I don't think mm-hmm. he was even fired. Uh, now, maybe it could have been a mutual parting away or something, and the language just made it seem like he stepped away. Uh, but it's inter- it's interesting for sure. And uh, it certainly is a, a very – Someone that if Corey Robinson had spent another year with the Saints and Tennessee, Willie Martinez retired at the end of this year and Tennessee hired him, you wouldn't bat an eye at that hire thinking it's a strange one. So to me, it is certainly very interesting and, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if things end up going down that path. Ethan, are you optimistic that the the secondary is going to be better this year? Are you on the optimistic train that things could be better this year? I mean, you'd certainly hope so. I mean, from what were they, 12th, 13th in the SEC last season, past defense? They weren't Texas a in the secondary. I'll say that. Yeah. They were 12th in the SEC, but like seventh from the bottom in the entire country. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, they, there's no way to sugarcoat that, is there? Uh, you, you would certainly hope. You would, you would certainly hope that, that Tennessee would be a little bit better. Um, from what I've seen from from uh, practices a, a lot of the newer guys uh conyer uh matthews and forgive me gibson i believe mm-hmm. um a lot of the newer guys are getting some run which I, I think is a good thing um you you say if if you've got if you've got a uh not a huge uh defensive back class in, in 2022 i believe all three of the guys i just named are higher ranked than the highest ranked cornerbacks less safety that was in the 2022 class i I think I could be wrong on that, but D Williams, obviously is who I'm talking about. And so to have all those guys, you, you got to switch some stuff around uh, at some point. If, if you're, if you're finishing near seventh from the bottom in the entire nation and past defense, you, you got to turn something around. And so see those guys getting some run is good um, to see, hopefully some growth from, from some people, uh, here, here in the past, that are that are finishing a, a, this defense that's that's not doing too hot, you would think you can find a certain group of guys, and I, I'm not 100 percent sure how Andre Turrentine is doing. I'm not 100 percent sure how or what kind of rotations are being worked on in camp, but there's enough dudes in the secondary. I think we talked about this a couple months ago, actually. If if you can't find something from you know the the returners, the the type of not talent, but just the sheer volume of people that Tennessee has returning. Uh, I mean, I, I originally, when you guys had brought up the the Willie Martinez thing, I hadn't realized that this was the last year of his contract. When Ryan said that, it kind of clicked for me. I was like, oh, that's why we're talking about this Corey Robinson as a potential replacement because, you know, you have the defenses as not at the secondary anyway, as not solid as it was. And then you have him entering his last year it just makes a lot of sense, especially from where Tennessee has been hiring, you know, in, in, I guess, in, in the program to, to, you know, replace the guys that are kind of on the, on the way out. And I mean, the, the secondary, it's, it's been the problem for a couple years now, <laughs> yeah. not the problem, but it has been part of the problem for a couple of years now. And you need to start addressing that. It, it's, it's nice to see, I guess that yes, Martinez has been recruiting well and you have these guys in here, but it feels like a, a, a kind of situation where you, you need to put up or shut up. Like if, if Tennessee's still finishing down uh, at, at the bottom there, Heupel's got to address it. And that, you know, I'd say chase that you're right, that this chase and Ryan, you're right, that it certainly seems that, you know, Robinson would be the replacement there. And it's also like, it's kind of nice that you just have these two dichotomy, this two dichotomies, right. Where clearly Heupel's like banks, whatever you want to do on the <laughs> side of the wall. And there's someone in the, in the administration somewhere who's like hey um rodney gardner like you need some sec ties you need especially on defensive line like rodney gardner's got the tie. like you cannot like you need those kind of ace recruiters on that side of the ball and brian jean marie i think has done he's probably the most underrated staffer in my estimation um i think the linebackers this year are gonna be great and looking at who they're bringing in um, and recruiting in the portal. I think Brian John Marie has done a great job. And Eckler, too. I think it's probably a combination there that they're ace recruiters and are pretty pretty solid uh, down the map. But I just look at this secondary, and I'm like, I think it's going to suck again. I think the only way it doesn't is if some edge guys pop. I think that's what they have to do, where if 
Tennessee is getting more pressure, if Roman Harrison has a great final year, if Joshua Josephs, Tyree West, and company Bryson Eason, they become this disruptive force. Like the Tennessee defensive line is actually solid and they are able to get home a lot more than what we saw. Like Tyler Barron has a breakout year who's been solid, but hasn't been like a star on the edge. Like if those things happen, then you can sell me on, okay, we can make, take some strides there. I think we're still a year away from that though. I still think you get a year of Chindavian Bradley and all these other dudes in the David Hobbs. Yeah, like that's next year is when I'm like, all right, I could see it more. There's just talent everywhere in the defensive line in the linebacker room that I could see it. And it, like a year from now, it might be Jordan Matthews on one side, Ricky Gibson on the other, Christian Conyer on this. Like there's just more, I'm sure, with some transfers littered in there. I just look at it and I just think that there, we're like phasing out the last group of just they're trying their best. It sounds so dismissive, but it's just not like Tamari McDonald's. Warren Burrell, Wesley Walker, Jalen McCullough, Kamal Haddon. You just look at this, like it might be Brandon Turridge. I think Deshaun Rucker. It's going to be a lot of vets, and I don't think we're going to see a lot of the guys that are pretty fat, like long-term more fascinating and more upside for this Tennessee group and where they go in the next level. I just, I don't see it. I think they're going to play a lot of vets, and I think a lot of these guys are still going to be in the rotation, and I think barring injury, I think we're in for another rough secondary year from this group. And I, I don't know what that means for Willie Martinez going into next year, but I, I just, I don't see it. I'd agree with that. You know, overall, I think there's potential for him to be better at corner. Like I like even some of those pieces, you know, Haddon who obviously had was infuriating. Like I think he has talent, you know, and there's the younger guys there where it's like, okay, I could see, Gabe, uh, Judy Lolly, they bring in from BYU. Like, there's mm. guys I can see them being better. Now, I don't think they're going to be great by any means. Safety, I don't see it. I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but if Jim, if they're trotting Jalen McCole out there, you're not going to be any better at safety. Mm. Uh, to me, that's just a reality. I don't get why Wesley Walker didn't play over him last year, to be honest with you. That's that's just my reality. And you're right. Uh, I think the two things that are, are interesting um, – Martinez, I completely agree with your point. Martinez always seems to side with the veterans. He's mm-hmm. going to go with guys who aren't going to have the breaks and may be more, you know, not as high ceiling. If, you know, he doesn't want to retire and he wants to be back at Tennessee. And obviously, I don't, it's if it's clear to us that the pressure's on him. That is the reality. It's clear to us, then I'm sure it's clear to him. Does he bend on that a little bit and play so many younger, more talented guys? I don't know. And, and then I would... I just think you hit the nail on the head with the most, and I said this last year too, the most realistic path to Tennessee's past even being better is the pass rush to be better. Mm. Uh, like that's what to me changes it. Be able to get home with four because they really, unless Byron Young was facing an offensive tackle that was just so much less athletic than him, they didn't do that last year, um, which was what Kentucky and LSU, he just physically abused dudes that he was way more athletic than. Other than that, you know, he wasn't able to get consistent pressure. But again, to your point, it feels like you're, you're a year away. Like the guys that you have in that room that you were really high on and are really talented and big time recruits, they're sophomores and freshmen. It feels like once you get those guys to being juniors and sophomores, you have a little bit more. And then you bring in another freshman class, you know, I think they're, what you're going to and uh, solid guys along the defensive line. Then it's like, okay, you've got the depth uh, and you can see these guys kind of taking a step forward, but it, it just feels a little early to think that's going to happen this season. I agree. Um, Jack Foster, friend of the pod, wrote a piece on where uh, the Vols wide receiver group ranks in terms of the SEC, Ethan. When you look at the Vols wide receiver room and what it's going to look like with their four-headed monster here, where do they rank? Are they the best? Do you have them above A&M? Do you have them above Georgia? Do you have them below? Where, Where do the Vols fall in that regard right now? I kind of agree with Jack, but with one exception. I think people are a lot higher on LSU because of Malik Neighbors and Malik Neighbors alone. Mm. Outside of Malik Neighbors, man, I mean, you got Brian Thomas Jr., who's, you know, five touchdowns in, in 2022. I think he was like 350 receiving mm. yards. I mean, that was their second leading receivers, 300. Scroll White in his freshman season had more than that. So uh, me personally, I'd, if I had to rank, I'd go Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Texas A&M. And I'd think about putting Texas A&M over LSU too, just because I value – more guys rather than i guess firepower and if i think jack was basing it on 
Malik Neighbors just being I mean, he's the best wide receiver in the SEC, probably. That's that's you you have to well, I mean, he's up there. He's at least top three. Um, probably there with Dominic Lovett and then Brew McCoy, I'd, I'd say, is the other one that you have to be thinking about. But Neighbors is really good. Uh, Georgia's the obvious number one. I mean, you got Rara Thomas, you got Dominic Lovett from from Mizzou, who is hilariously underused at, at, at Missouri. Hilariously underused. I mean, Luther Burton was as well, but I mean, that's a topic for another time. Um, and then you got Lad McConkey coming back. So um, Georgia should be the number one answer for just about everybody, in my opinion. Um, after that, you can talk about four teams, really. I mean, you could talk about Alabama if you want to. I don't think they're on the same level as A&M, LSU, and Tennessee. And if you're talking passing attack, I'm not sure who's going to throw the ball to Muhammad, Stewart, and Smith over at Texas A&M between Weigman and uh, that other guy they got there. Whoever. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Moose Muhammad. LSU it's funny you say that because, yeah. like, I think it's A&M for me. I think A&M is my number really? one. Like, if everything goes right, like, I think they have the most talent of anyone. If I, I mean, had to go... Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith. Smith. Smith is yeah. coming off like an injured knee, though. But that's what I'm saying. Like the upside wise, like if I just go, who is the most talented foursome uh, potentially in the SEC? I think it's A&M. Like if everything would... goes right, I think A&M has the four best receiving options in the conference. I will say, I will say, I think they're more proven than Tennessee. I can I I think I'm gonna go ahead and put A and M at third to be honest. I'm thinking about okay. it. A and M is better than LSU. It's I it's agree. Tennessee Tennessee A and M and Georgia. I would agree. I, somewhere I'm willing to debate those top three. Like somewhere, if you have a different like top three, I think those are the clear top three. I I wouldn't like I wouldn't hate A and M over Tennessee simply because you have Brew McCoy in Tennessee's that is a hundred percent going to be good. Squirrel White. He's probably going to be pretty good. I mean, he had a very solid freshman season. Um, outside of that, Ramel Keaton's been solid, but um, Look, I mean, Ramel Keaton's great. Like, I, yeah, I'm, you know what I'm okay with saying? Ramel Keaton's he's, awesome. I don't know why people are just what Ramel no, Keaton I, is I awesome. I wasn't, I, wasn't getting re- I wasn't getting ready to crap on Ramel Keaton. I was about to say, do I think he is better than? I mean, who, who's number three on A and M right now? Uh, Stewart. Yeah, Stewart. Maybe Muhammad. Noah Thomas. I, I mean, I think you could go anyway between Tennessee and Texas A&M. The more I'm talking myself into it, I think you could go anyway. No one's beaten Georges. I, I don't care who's throwing him the ball. Ladd McConkey, Rara Thomas, and Dominic Lovett is a disgusting top three. I don't know. George is a wait and see for me. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We haven't seen it. When have we seen the Georgia... When have we seen the Georgia receiver room just like lit it up all across the board? When have we ever? When have we I mean, really sure seen it? I wouldn't say it's it's Georgia's wide receiver room that's been the catalyst for their two back to back national titles, but I mean this season it's uh, it's, it's here. It's, I have a take. Brock Bowers, Lucky Lawson, or Lawson Lucky and Oscar Delp is the star are the stars of Georgia's offense. Like I just they're a tight end centric offense. They're two tight end sets all the time. I don't know. I just can't put Georgia at number one. I don't think they'll, I, I just don't have it. I think one, you know, for me, I would have, because I think with all these teams we're talking about, like there's not, we haven't seen a ton of dudes prove it on that team. I mm. guess Georgia's got proven yeah. dudes, but they haven't done it in Georgia's offense. Yeah. So to me, it's a lot of projecting here. I think, you know, I kind of see it as two classes at the top. I think the top class is A&M, the one Tennessee, Georgia, what y'all just said. And then behind them is LSU, Missouri, and Alabama. I think – I don't know if Tennessee's got the four most talented receivers or the four best receivers, but I would say this. If we're going to sit here at the end of the year and we're going to talk about production and we're going to talk about you know everything that you talk about when you're looking at who's an all-SEC receiver, it's hard for me not to pick Tennessee just because – and I have question marks about Joe Milton, but I don't have question marks about Josh Heibel's offense. And I feel pretty darn confident some dudes are going to put up big numbers. Georgia, their offense is great. I can't say with any confidence that more than one, if even one of those receivers, I can't say with any confidence that a single Georgia receiver is going to have 750 yards next year. I'd be pretty darn surprised if Tennessee doesn't have two dudes that have 750, and I'd be pretty darn surprised if they don't have someone that has 1,000. And hmm. A&M, a lot of talent there. I tend to think you know, they're going to be a lot better offensively and pretty good offensively, and they're going to be, I don't know if it's a prize team, uh, but certainly a lot better than they were last year. But you can't tell me it's you can't tell me you're betting on Texas A&M's offense over you're betting on Tennessee's offense. So yeah, are, are we are we talking just straight up 
talent in the room or are we talking passing attacks? Because if we're talking passing attacks, I'd go Tennessee first as well. I'm saying but that's a complete, I, I think that's a completely different question because I'd put mm. Texas A&M at like fifth if that was if that's how but we see, I wouldn't even do that by Petrino. If he gets full control, I still think I mean, maybe, but you still have Connor Wigman under center. He might be good. I mean, maybe, but he, he I don't I don't necessarily think he'll have the I mean, year one under Bobby Petrino and Connor Wigman with a solid, a solid, you know, passing. Oh, I mean, we have to remember Texas A&M, brother. Last year, they were they were rough offensively. Toss it out. If you know, Bobby Petrino com- gets it, you got to toss it, Ethan. You got to toss it. You got to wipe it from your brain. I get it's a completely different, but you still got the same dudes under center. And they're not, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I think it's a fun conversation. It's also one where it's like, I think Tennessee year over year is always going to be in this conversation. They're going to be somewhere in the top three. They're recruiting well. They develop well. Would your question be passing attack or just talent in the wide receiver room? Because that does vastly change my answer. Talent. Talent in the wide receiver room. I would say Georgia toss up between Tennessee and Texas A&M and then LSU further back. Okay. Um, final thing here, uh, we've got Tennessee big recruiting weekend. Uh, they land Jordan Burns out of the home state, uh, Pace Academy, uh, linebacker. So one of the two, it looks like is already in the boat. Um, Tylen Singleton coming in this weekend, um, from, uh, Louisiana. Boo Carter, uh, is landed over the weekend on Saturday night in New York city safety. He's, uh, in the boat here. We'll see what that means for the Mike Matthews, who will also be here this weekend. The Ryan Wingos of the world. Um, and then Max Anderson, uh, another inside lineman, uh, commits to the Vols, another four-star. So three four-stars commit uh, to Tennessee. They're now top 10 in every uh, preferred po- uh, just prospect ranking, um, whether it's on three, two, four, seven rows, whoever. They're in the top 10. Ryan, what do you make of the three big commits, and who is uh, who do you think will end up being the biggest of this three? It's Boo Carter, and it's not close. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not even either two good gets. Don't get me wrong. Jordan Burns, Max Anderson, good gets. Not even on the same level of Boo Carter. I mean, we talked about it on here in the last two weeks, really both. I think this is a guy Tennessee has basically been their number one in-state target for two years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a guy they had to get, and I think he's the best prospect of them. I think it's the biggest recruiting win of them when you're talking about who they're going up against and kind of how dicey it seemingly got there towards the end. And I think you look at, I mean, you kind of just hinted at it i guess with the mike matthews thing coming up like he's really close to a lot of top prospects in this class so i think it, in a lot of different ways he's going to have a big effect and uh you know we just talking about tennessee secondary and how they need to upgrade the talent there here's a, here's another guy that would do that so burns anderson nice pieces you know we talked about offensive line but that's all been about offensive tackle and anderson you know all signs point to him being an interior guy burns you know solid piece i don't even think will be the linchpin of tennessee's linebacker class to me, it's Boo Carter by by a pretty big long shot. I uh, I tend to agree there, Ethan. Do you yeah. do you think? Because uh, I think it's really just Boo or Max Anderson. But the thing I will throw out with Max, he seems like he's close, and the reporting is that he's close with Bennett Warren, the offensive tackle who will be in um, this weekend for Tennessee. And I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, but Tennessee has not landed a uh, elite. Uh, have we talked offensive... about that yeah. on this podcast before? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if have you heard this? Have you seen this? Have you have you have you heard about this? Tennessee might not uh, be landing an, a premier elite offensive tackle uh, on the recruiting trail in the last two years. Um, so that might be the biggest thing. It's like the thing with Max Anderson is like if he's able to get Bennett Warren in the boat as like a just there just get him in there. I mean, I think he jumps it. Like I don't know. Maybe that's the thing is like I mean everything's relationships and recruiting. Like Boo Carter being close to Mike Matthews. And then Max Anderson being close to Bennett Warren. I mean, that might be something that's even out of Tennessee's hands. That might be the biggest part of uh, this 2024 class is those kind of friendships. Um, what do you think, Ethan? I, you guys just combined to say exactly what I was going to say. I mean, Boo Carter's the number one. He's. I, I feel like people have assumed he was going to be committed to Tennessee for like a year now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good, I guess, just to affirm that, to, to get him. I, I'd agree to, with everything Ryan said there. I would say Max Anderson's a big get because it's it's Tennessee's highest rated offensive line. And regardless of if he plays interior or, or, or on the tackle, he, he's Tennessee's best offensive line recruit of so far uh, of the 2024 cycle. Now, I, I didn't know that, uh, Chase, uh, about Bennett. I, mm. I, I just didn't know, I, I guess, that he has ties there. 
but I I'm feel a real like it's sicko good on Twitter.com and searching and <laughs> keeping up with this stuff. I, I will not admit to having uh, known Max Anderson's, uh, uh, I guess, the uh, people that he has ties to. It, it's good in, in any way to get momentum in that way, shape, or form uh, with an offensive lineman committing. I think the only other guy. Did Tennessee only have one other offensive line recruit? I'm looking right now. Was it was Gage? No, it's Gage, Gage, Jesse Perry, and Gage Ganther. Okay. So I think this is three. Okay, right. So yeah. I mean, but just getting guys in the trenches—that's where the game is won, man. That's that you you got like like we've been talking about all day. You you got to get guys in the trenches. So I'd say Max Anderson's important. Uh, Jordan Burns, I'd agree, uh, important gets all three of them. Boo Carter's the guy that that I'm most excited about because it's. Kind of like I went back, and I'm kind of rambling here, but it's affirming what you had already had laid out, that Bucard was going to be the guy to commit, and he's got all these ties and and and, and all that. And, and he's just a freak athlete, of course, too. I mean, an in-state guy that you're able to keep in the state, uh, able to still have the pipeline to come to Tennessee. Uh, it's, it's good all around. Good recruiting weekend all around. I mean, all three of them huge gets, like I said. But, yeah, Carter, Anderson, and then, and then Burns would be my, my ranking of those three. There you go. Uh, Ryan Shepard, what can the good folks check out from you and the team at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, so we'll have uh, some NBA draft coverage tonight on whatever happens with Julian Phillips. But uh, obviously kind of as we enter this dead type of year, or you know, not really dead, but quieter time of year, uh, plenty of Tennessee baseball stuff on the offseason. I got the transfer portal tracker live later today, planning to have it on a piece, kind of on what we talked about, on, on what are the needs for Tennessee in the transfer portal, where where should you expect them to target. Uh, so those stuff, and then you said it's football time in Tennessee, so we'll have plenty of Tennessee football coverage, and that will just be more and more and more as we go on throughout the offseason and uh, get, into, get into July, and then obviously early August, fall camp starts, and it's full speed again. There you go. Ethan, what about you and the team over at Saturday Down South this week? Yeah, so we'll be covering, obviously, the College World Series. Florida's there already. LSU hoping to make it there. It could be an all-SEC thing. That's good for Saturday down south, obviously. Have full coverage there. We'll have coverage of the drafts, SEC, uh, Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC guys that go in the draft. We'll have coverage there. And just moving into July, um, I guess it's kind of a down area for us, for SDS in general, so we'll have a lot of pieces previewing football moving forward um, as, as we move into SEC media days, as we move into just general media, media days for the four sites that we cover. And then obviously football recruiting is kind of ramping up right now for the 2024 20, and 25 classes. So got stuff on the news desk, got global columns coming out uh, all the time. So Saturday down south, SaturdayDownSouth.com, Tradition, Out West, and then uh, Saturday Road. There you go. Ryan, Ethan, thank you as always. And uh, I will talk to you all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.